0: Blog Talk Radio It's been a long road Getting from there to here It's been
1: a long time But my time is finally Hi, this is Dr. Jess Armline I'm trying to... play a different song because I want to honor a friend who has passed away today, so give me a moment. Good evening, everyone. This is Dr. Jess Online coming to you from the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine here in southeastern Pennsylvania. Well, as you can tell, it was not our usual beginning song. Well, it's interesting that we're talking about anxiety, depression, and emotional trauma tonight because I do have some bad news. <clears throat> Lyme disease has taken another warrior from another Lyme warrior, Paige Adams. Paige was a family nurse practitioner and owner of the Center for Proactive Medicine in Nashville, Tennessee. She graduated with her BSN in 1995 and worked for several years in nursing, including emergency room, ICU, step down, and management prior to receiving her master's at Vanderbilt University in 2001. Um, Paige is a nurse practitioner and was dedicated to researching and treating chronic diseases. one of these chronic diseases took her. And um, it's a very sad thing. It's a very sad thing. Even uh, the best of us, you know, this can take us. Um, A couple of years ago, uh, a three-part podcast was done at mthfrsupport.com on hormones. And um, I was... uh, contacted by Sterling Hill earlier today and her site. If you'd like to listen to the, um, that three-part, um, podcast, which, uh, I can tell you is very good. Uh, but, um, in our hearts tonight, um, let us remember that, um, another one of our warriors has fallen and Paige may be gone, but her spirit and character will not be forgotten. So, uh, with that, um, let us uh pray for her and her family and pray that she rests in peace, because I know this was quite a struggle for her. Okay, thank you for um for your attention. Tonight we are going to talk about uh anxiety, depression, and emotional trauma, root causes, effects on your body, and directions for treatment. I have um posted the PDF uh several places and um it's available on the BioIndividual individual medicine uh, public page. It's uh, available on my private page and, and probably several different pages, pages because I was all over the place today doing it. And if you will take a couple of minutes to <clears throat> get your hands on it so we can go over it, I think this is going to be a very, very interesting uh, podcast. In the meantime, I'll have a few announcements that um, if you go to our website, either drjessarmind.com or methylationsupport.com, essentially the same website, you're gonna see a lot of different changes, okay, a lot of very good changes. Uh, first off, you can schedule your own appointments. Uh, there is a methodology there where you can um, go to become a client and, or if you're already a client and uh, click uh, that you want a uh, an appointment, uh, put in your own time zone, and then it will translate it. And you can pick out your own appointment. It will take you to a couple of other screens, and you have total control of when your appointment is. You know, that, that, I think, is going to be great. We're going to be um, also uh, introducing uh, Kristen Codiani who's a, who's an FDN a functional diagnostic nutrition, and uh, Dr. Jill Philo, who's going to be working with us very soon. Uh, and um, we'll be doing a um, podcast um, introducing them because they're going to be actively working with our patients. I am going to Britain, Great Britain, on February 12th to uh, see patients and to do some lecturing. Um, If anybody who's out there who... I think the schedule is almost full now, (laughs) but there may be one or two openings... Uh, just let me know if you uh if you need um if you know someone who needs to be seen out there. Also there are a few doctors who are shadowing me, following me and um learning while we're um treating other people. And uh, there's a few openings for that also. So um oh, and Kristen told me Kristen is also my virtual office manager and she's Getting me together, people. I know that I know the problems. The problems have been. I'm too busy. I'm doing this. and doing that. And guess what? She's using the whips on me, and I think she likes it, by the way. <laughs> but um, but a- everything's actually coming together. I'm, I'm quite quite impressed. She's uh, she's a fireball, and things are in fact coming together. And if you look on the website, there is a family, um, family discount. Okay, I think she's um, she just told me about it tonight. So you're just going to have to go there and look. So hopefully uh, right now everybody has got the um, PDF and uh, let us start talking. At the end of this lecture, you'll be able to either call in at 646-595-2277. And I'll be happy to take your calls. Or you can uh, type your questions into the chat room, which I'm also looking at. So if you hear me uh, banging on the um, keys here so I'm answering a question in the chat room. So. <clears throat> Here we go, anxiety, depression, and emotional trauma. Root causes, effects on your body, and of course, I should have somebody read this, this everybody, and directions for treatment, okay? This is uh, something I've been talking about for years now, and uh, when I had asked uh, what people wanted to hear about, a lot of people wanted to go back to anxiety, depression, and emotions. So um, if we go to the second page here, um, here's what I'm looking to accomplish tonight. Okay, I want to define anxiety, what it is, define depression, define emotional trauma, and how do these guys affect your physiology, and how you can go about determining root causes because people are treating anxiety, depression, and emotional trauma as if they are standalone things, and you know how I feel about such things. <clears throat> and what are the treatment options? Remember, I'm not going to take you the show, but I can certainly point you in the right direction. Okay? Anxiety is an emotion. It's an emotion. Notice how I made it emotion. Okay, uh, made it a different color, italicized, it, characterized by an unpleasant state of inner turmoil. It's usually accompanied by nervous behaviors such as pacing back and forth, body complaints, and rumination. That means uh, you know, running things over and over and over in your head. Okay, it's also it is a subjective unpleasant feelings of dread over anticipated events such as the feeling of imminent death. That's a little extreme, but um, people feeling unpleasant about things they're about to do. Okay. Remember, these are all subjective. That doesn't mean they're not real. It just means that they're subjective and they're a result of something. Okay. Depression is an emotion. Depression is a state of low mood and aversion to activity that can affect a person's thoughts and behaviors, feelings, and sense of well being. People with depressed mood can feel sad, anxious, empty, hopeless, helpless, worthless, guilty, irritable, or restless. It's kind of the whole gamut. And you're going to see that it has a lot of different bases. They may lose interest in activities that were once pleasurable. Excuse me a moment. <clears throat> and that's a telling point. Emotional trauma. Emotional trauma is a response to a terrible event like accident, rape, or natural disaster. Immediately after the event, shock and denial are typical. Long-term reactions include unpredictable emotions, flashbacks, strained relationships, and even physical symptoms like headaches or nausea. While these feelings are normal, some people have difficulty moving on with their lives. This is from the American Psychological Association. The point I want to make here. Is that, and I'm going to be showing you that emotional trauma and emotions and these responses are just as important as things that can cause uh, depression, anxiety, like microbial issues, Lyme disease, um, yeast infections, all the stuff. People tend to downgrade and diss, if you will, the emotional side of things. And there is evidence, there is good scientific evidence out there that this affects people just as much as those other um, causes that injure the cells. And I want to point out to those um, mostly women who have been sexually assaulted. And and again, um, if you have not dealt with it, um, the way that I explain it to my patients, okay, is that think of it as um, those like Three Mile Island or Chernobyl, and you have this atomic reaction continuing to go on, and all they do is just throw concrete over it, and if stuff like this is ignored over time, it's exactly what's going to happen with that um, atomic pile. It's going to start cracking. Um, You're going to have unpredictable emotions. The steam is going to come out different ways, flashbacks, strained relationships. Lots of different things can happen, and the root cause can be emotional trauma, so I'm not... um, I want people to know that that's just as important as everything else we're talking about. By the way, the other definitions are from Wikipedia. Emotions are an expression of the neurotransmitters in your brain, okay? Neurotransmitter imbalance, neurotransmitters are, you know, my thing, okay? I I happen to be very, very good at it. I'm very good at um, explaining it, but remember that emotions are an expression of what's going on in your brain okay because you have anxiety does not make you a lesser person because you have depression does not make you a lesser person because you have ocd it does not make you a lesser person okay which is what stigma is all about And I'm the most anti-stigma person. I'm the guy standing in front of other doctors, yelling at them, telling them that they are the reason that people are suffering in silence because they think that people with emotional problems or neuropsychiatric problems are weak or it's a weakness of stock or they just can't handle their their lives. And that is most I'm not going to curse because this is a show and I'm trying to be nice, but emotions are an expression of What's going on in your brain, and the more you think about it that way, the less stigma you'll accept, because really, if you think about it, if you have this constant problem that nobody can figure out, and then eventually the doctors look at you and in your head. what are they really telling you? They're really telling you you're a nutter. They're really telling you that you can't handle your life. And after a little while, when the big doctors say it, then your family and, and your significant others begin to believe it. Well, we're going to start turning that around. We have to start looking at this in realistic, realistically, okay? That emotions are an expression. Moods are an expression of what's going on in your brain. And let's figure out what's going on in the brain and fix that. And maybe the moods will change, okay? Uh, On page seven, I'm going to get a glass of water. I'm going to get a drink of water here. Excuse me. You see the brain wall. You've seen this before. This is a construct from my son, Jesse Armine, who... um, does uh, graphic artistry. And if you'd like to I, a little bit of nepotism here, sorry people. Okay. If you'd like to go see his stuff, you can go to design He does wonderful logos. He does wonderful stuff. And when I presented him with the brain wall and had a look at uh, the brain in different ways, he produced this. This is the fourth incarnation. This is wonderful. You can actually go to his website. I have this on my wall and it takes up half of my wall. So that's how big you can get it. Okay. He's got some other incredibly great stuff. Anyway, let's talk about neurotransmitters for a second, okay? And you can see my serotonin and the dope means the happiness tour. her. Okay, neurotransmitters and their function. Next, uh, first of all, neurotransmitters are divided into excitatory and inhibitory neurotransmitters. Okay, without getting too technical, excitatory neurotransmitters are those substances that kind of wake you up, allow you to pay attention. Okay. They actually facilitate the movement of information across the synapse, but bottom line is they're the things you need to stay awake. So you've heard different ones like epinephrine or adrenaline, noradrenaline or norepinephrine, dopamine, glutamate, phenylethylamine. Okay. Epinephrine comes from the adrenal gland. Okay, and if it's too high, okay, it's adrenaline, you're going to have trouble sleeping, anxiety, some tremors, some hypertension. If it's too low, you might have uh, fatigue, a little uh, inability to focus, and you might be gaining weight very quickly. Norepinephrine, very similar to epinephrine. Okay, if it's high, you have anxiety, irritability. This is the kind of person who to cut into line. This is that feeling of having too much caffeine. You might have that little bit of tremor going on. If it's low, low energy, low focus, low motivation, low mood. Okay, by the way... Phenolethylamine, PEA, and norepinephrine are the main neurotransmitters that are responsible for your ability to focus. So if you have ADD, which is not a diagnosis, by the way, it is an observation, it is a set of symptoms, if you have attention deficit disorder, you can't pay attention. One of two things is going on. Either your norepinephrine and or phenylethylamine are low, or everything is so high that your mind is moving so fast that you have the attention span of a gnat. Okay, so let's face it. ADD doesn't mean an awful lot. (coughs) Excuse me. Because it doesn't tell you what's wrong. It's like saying to somebody you have a sore throat. Okay, that's nice. All right, but having a sore throat is one thing. That doesn't tell you why you have a sore throat. If somebody has a strep throat, now you know why. Okay, so just because someone has ADD, and I know there's a whole mess of different, you know, uh, subcategories, but they're all based on lists of things that still don't tell you about the root cause of the problem, which is what the real, real issue is. Because if you don't find the root cause of the problem, you'll never fix it. Okay, so dopamine. Dopamine is kind of a funny neurotransmitter. Dopamine, um, and I mean funny, strange, not funny ha. Excuse me again. OK, if dopamine is super, super, super low, that's where you start getting Parkinsonian type symptoms. OK, but if it's low, you might have something called a hedonism or a lack of joy. This is a type of depression where that person just, you know, the things that used to make them happy just don't make them happy anymore. A, a, a kind of quick and dirty way of figuring out a difference between a serotonin depression and a dopamine depression is a kind of a serotonin depression is... You know, I, I'm sure you're. You know, you, you've had friends who've broken up with spouses or broken up with boyfriends or girlfriends, and you take them out for a drink or you take them out for a meal, and you joke with them, and they can kind of get out of it, and, and it's okay, all right. But this kind of this kind of depression is that real deep. I just don't feel like mm, kind of depression, and sometimes it's a bipolar type depression, but it may be. Based into low dopamine. By the way, dopamine is your neurotransmitter of reward. Okay, so when you have a nice meal and you go, okay, that's dopamine. And the joke think about this think about going to the mall and you're going with your girlfriends and you want to go get a particular item and there's about two or three items left, but there are about 80 ladies heading towards that item. So you guys form a wedge and you the way through the ladies, leaving dead bodies on either side and so forth, and you grab the items and you pay for it, and you're walking back to the car with that big old smile on your face, that's dopamine, okay? If anybody uh, wants to know more about dopamine as being a reward system, <clears throat> uh, this is also very heavily in, uh, involved in addictions, uh, you can look up reward deficiency syndrome. Okay, that is Kenneth Blum's work. Okay, and he's the one that originally
0: <clears> –
1: <throat> excuse me, my gosh. Um, he did the original work on the DRD2 gene. He's the co-discoverer of it and did the original epigenetic work before it was called epigenetics and has been studying dopamine since the 50s. And guess what? Um, you know, his, his work is very, very easy to find, and you'll you'll see what, um, what the dopaminergic system is all about, and it's very, very extensive. So anyway, if you have very high dopamine, okay, you're going to get a lot of different kind of symptoms, okay? So slightly high dopamine, you're gonna get kind of like maybe some paranoia, okay? Maybe some just being off, some agitation, okay? When it gets kind of high, really high, you can actually get into psychosis, okay? This is part of autism, and some of my auti- all of my autistic kids have, and I'm talking about the frank autistics, have dopamines that are through the roof. Okay, Um, I'm going to just throw out some numbers to give a reference, and these aren't numbers that they use anymore. Let's say 190 is high for dopamine, okay? Uh, In the 250 range, you'd start getting some paranoia, 250, 350, 450, 500, you start getting um, hallucinations. All of my autistic kids, all of them would have dopamines in excess of 600, and the highest it's really has been 783, okay? And they damage that this kind of excitatory neurotransmitter does to the brain kind of explains the fact that those autistic kids just aren't of this earth. They're not here. They're kind of like staring, you're wondering why, well guess what? Their dopamine's are so high that they can't think, okay? Glutamate is another very significantly um injurious neurotransmitter. When it's very high, okay, it can actually cause cell death and seizures, okay? How does glutamate get very high? Well, a lot of times your GAD enzyme, the glutamate decarboxylase, is not working very well, and you're pumping in a lot of glutamine, and you can't convert glutamate into GABA, and uh, that will cause the glutamate to go very, very high. Okay, on neurotransmitter tests, a lot of times I've seen high glutamates, okay, and I've been able to get rid of a lot of uh, symptomatology, especially hallucinations and all kinds of um, excitatory problems by just dropping glutamate, okay? Phenoliphylamine. Uh, as I said before, is that neurotransmitter that is, for, that is responsible for focus. is it, it is a uh, result of phenyl, uh, phenylalanine. But when you have it too high, you can have sleep difficulty, mind running, and anxiety. Notice excitation, excitatory neurotransmitters. Next page are your inhibitory neurotransmitters, those things that allow you to relax, allow you to sleep. Okay, they actually... Counterbalance the excitation. When I said before that the excitatory neurotransmitters facilitate the movement of information, I want you to think of like the levees, okay, in um, in New Orleans, okay. Um, <clears throat> the levees there uh, will allow a certain uh, impulse of wave or wave size of a wave uh, to go over the levee and you know uh, and go wherever it goes, but. If you don't have a levy, or well, the levy's really knocked down, the, informa- the water will just flow in. Well, if you don't have enough uh, inhibitory neurotransmitters, okay, guess what? And you're just going to be feeling everything. So that person who's sitting in front of you uh, at, a, at a movie theater or at a lecture that's bouncing all around the place is not because they have to urinate, it's because they have too little inhibitory neurotransmitters. And the way that I, I tell people when I'm lecturing, I'll say, okay, after they've been sitting there for a while, I say, okay, but people... How many people feel their butt? Okay, and what they all do is they all shake their butt and then they raise their hands. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Before you shook your butt, did you feel it? And, and you shouldn't, okay, because once you're not moving, it's not putting out a lot of impulses, and the inhibitor and neurotransmitter should be uh, enough to slow down that impulse so that you don't uh, perceive it up in the cerebral cortex. Uh, otherwise, if you felt everything, you'd go psychotic, okay? Anyway, serotonin is the one we're most... Familiar with because the one that's most bandied about is SSRIs and so forth. So low serotonin can give you anxiety, depression, insomnia. People who are usually after carbs and sugars are looking for serotonin. Okay, and here's a here's an interesting one for you. Um unexplained gastrointestinal sentence, most people don 't know that serotonin is the main neurotransmitter of the enteric nervous system, the gut nervous system, which is bigger than your, your central nervous system, so lots of times, believe it or not, I fixed gut problems by supporting serotonin um, uh serotonin uh production okay if you serotonin's very very high, you can get hot flashes, road rage serotonin syndrome serotonin syndrome by the way is only possible when you overdose on SSRIs. It is impossible. There is no evidence whatsoever that utilizing amino acids can give you serotonin syndrome. Okay. Also, you'll notice that a lot of ladies who have hot flashes are given SSRIs, which means that the serotonin is one of the ways that you run your thermogenic system. 5-HIAA that you see there is a breakdown product of, um, of serotonin through the action of monoamine oxidase. Okay, taurine. Taurine is kind of an interesting uh, thing. Taurine is not a neurotransmitter. It's an inhibitory neuromodulator, okay? And um, if you drink Red Bulls or monster drinks, you notice that there are, that the first ingredient is taurine. And you say, okay, well, maybe it's just trying to calm the brain because they're giving you excitation stuff. Well, not really. Okay, believe it or not, taurine in very, very high doses acts like lidocaine, which is an antiarrhythmic. So here's, here's what's being promulgated on you guys <laughs> and especially the kids they're giving you stuff that's going to dysregulate your heart okay that's going to make your heart go bum bum. then they're giving you a bunch of taurine which in high doses can give you insomnia and hyperactivity but will protect the heart so they don't really care about you they're just going to throw stuff in there okay also high taurines can be problems in the uh, transsulfuration pathway so super low taurines panic attacks cynicism pessimism um, GABA, which is the next page. gamma immunobutyric acid is the main, <clears throat> chief inhibitory neurotransmitter in any of the mammalian um, nervous system. Honestly, this is the one that everybody's, you know, chasing when you're trying to calm down. Okay, when you have enough of it, you can calm, you can sleep. If you don't have enough, anxiety, insomnia, tremors. Now, most of, for the most part, when people want to raise GABA they will do several things. Number one, you can drink alcohol, not that I'm recommending it, but you can drink alcohol. Okay. What alcohol will do is what benzodiazepines and everybody else does is go on to the GABA A receptor. They're also known as GABA ergic agents or GABA agonists. Okay. And it doesn't create GABA. Listen to the words. It doesn't create GABA. It releases GABA. And as my mother would say from Brooklyn, if you ain't got it, you ain't got it. So if you ain't got GABA, it doesn't matter how much you use. That's why you need more and more and more sometimes. So um, the only the other problem with the GABA A receptor is that it's one of those fast on, fast off. So it's sort of like that McDonald's off the highway, fast on, fast off. So there, you know, when you drink an alcoholic drink and you you feel calmed down, it doesn't last all that long. Okay. Same thing with the benzodiazepine, like Xanax or Clonopin or uh, Ativan, or so forth. Okay, also marijuana will do that, but also marijuana will raise um, dopamine sometimes. <clears> there's <throat> a great addictive quality. On the other hand, there's a GABA-B receptor.
0: A lot of people know that I recommend
1: uh, things like cabinase or uh, Phenotrope, which is a 4 amino 3 phenylbutyric acid, which is a phenylated GABA. That gets into the brain, gets through the blood-brain barrier, supplies you with actual GABA. It also stimulates the GABA-B receptor, making it kind of release GABA slowly, uh, and um, it actually works, okay? And I realize there's arguments about the different uh, types of phenylated GABA that are also known as phenibuts or phenobutes. okay? But uh, I'm not going to get into that argument tonight because I'll win, you'll lose. Big, <laughs> big as you might expect. Now, areas of the brain, this is going to be interesting because we're going to go through different areas of the brain and what they do and how they're dysfunctional. So look at the prefrontal cortex. Okay, this is where ADD tends to live. The function of the prefrontal cortex is attention, judgment, impulse control, critical thinking, empathy, emotional awareness. And this is the area that where you have uh, a lot of your executive function, and it grows until about 25. So your dysfunction is distractibility, impulsivity, poor judgment, laziness, tardiness, and frankly, everything that one calls a teenager. Okay, and one of the reasons the teenagers act like this is because they not finished growing until age 25. Okay, so that's why sometimes teenagers do things that they don't know why they do them. They're just goofy. Okay. It's for true. Okay. Uh, dopamine, epinephrine, norepinephrine are the chief neurotransmitters of this area. The anterior cingulate, which is kind of sitting on the top of the brain, is your area that is your gear shifter, your ability to be flexible, uh, your ability to see options and go with the flow. OCD and ODD live here. ODD is an oppositional defiance disorder. Okay, when you're dysfunctional here, you can be stubborn, hold grudges, uh, obsessions, addictions, PMS, oppositional, argumentative. You can have some road rage. You can see there's a lot of uh, cross here. The main neurotransmitter for this area is serotonin. The basal ganglia, this is where anxiety lives, people. Okay, and the basal ganglia has a right and left side. And if you're mainly left, if you have a problem with the left side, you're going to be externally anxious. Externally anxious means that. You can be a yeller. You can be uh, screaming at people. You can even have homicidal thinking, okay? Uh, in right basal ganglia, you tend to be ha- internalize your anxiety. You tend to have suicidal thinking or self-mutilation. That's, of course, an ex- you know, an extreme case. But in dysfunction, this is where anxiety, panic attacks, pessimism, conflict avoidance, very tense neck and shoulders and tremors are. And as you might think, the main neurotransmitter that kind of runs this area is GABA. The thalamic limbic system, I, I realize that the brain is not exact, I'm, you know, we had to draw it, so guess what? <laughs> Just put up with it. <clears throat> this is where depression lives, people, okay? Your thalmic limbic system is your emotional filter. This is what colors your experiences and tags interior importance. What I mean by that is that when you have an experience, you, you assign an importance to it, okay? This is where uh, your libido hangs out. Uh, this is um, to, because of where it is. Uh, When you have a smell and it goes through the cribriform plate, it kind of stimulates the thalmic limbic system, which is why smells tend to evoke different emotions. Okay, depression, appetite, sleep problems, decreased sex drive, social isolation. These are all things that happen with thalmic limbic um, dysfunction. And serotonin is the main neurotransmitter that works here. In the temporal lobe, which is the base of the brain, okay, the left side is where you process language. It's kind of your your um, executive side, and the right side is more your artsy side. Okay, when you have left-sided dysfunction, there's aggression, fighting, sensitive to slights. Sounds like me. Um Difficulty finding words, auditory processing problems. The right side you really can have some nasty difficulty with faces and trouble decoding voices. Um, this is the floor of the brain. In case anybody's wondering, the reason one of the reasons that uh, abused children um, have um, are aggressive as adults is because the abuser is usually right-handed, and as they're uh, um, Abusing the children, they're hitting them upside the head, usually uh, with their right hand, which is their left, which is the child's left side, causing chronic uh, left-sided um, temporal lobe dysfunction, and um, it's one of the reasons for um, for aggression and um, abused children. Uh, this is also the seat of memory, and sometimes ginkgo and uh, acetylcholine, dopamine can be helpful. This is where bipolar disorder lives, and this is where psychosis lives. And God forbid I should ignore the genetic SNPs. Uh, In anxiety, depression, emotional trauma, are there genetic predispositions? Yes, there are, Okay, But remember that genetic SNPs, single nucleotide polymorphisms, are predispositions, not exactitudes. So just because you have something doesn't mean that
0: you're going to have
1: the expression. So uh, Dr. Ben Lynch was kind enough to let me use some of his pathway planners in this lecture. Um, Dr. Lynch has got uh, seekinghealth.com, which is where you can get vitamins, and seekinghealth.org if you're a uh, healthcare provider and you want uh, methylation videos and discussion forums, that's the place to go. Um, ben Lynch is a good friend. He's a pioneer, innovator, researcher, clinician, and frankly, he's a hell of a nice guy. Um, excitation can be caused by polymorphisms in catechol methyltransferase and monoamine oxidase. Okay. These are the some of the neurotransmitters that, I'm sorry, these are some of the enzymes that are responsible for breaking down excitatory neurotransmitters, otherwise known as catecholamines. Okay. And remember that the presence of a polymorphism doesn't necessarily mean you're ill and the absence does not mean you're well. So if you look at the little tub there, uh, if you have a lot of polymorphisms in COMT and MAO, that's sort of like the tub that has a drain that's about a quarter of the size so if you just have a little bit of water going in it's no big deal but if you have a lot of water going in okay eventually it's going to fill up and even though it's draining it's going to fill up and overflow so people with a lot of polymorphisms in in these two uh genes these are the kind of people that normally i ask them are you the kind of person that uh when you get angry you kind of hold on to it for a long time they always look at and say oh yeah OK, and it's it's just because you can't get rid of it because you can't get rid of it because you're breaking down the catecholamine slowly. OK, uh, in the pathway that you're looking at, what I did was circle where the COMTs and MAOs are. This is the dopamine pathway. And think about it. If you see where COMT and MAO are and where dopamine is, and let's say you also have a polymorphism at DBH, which is do- dopamine beta hydroxylase. Which just takes dopamine and turns it into um, epinephrine, um, norepinephrine, norepinephrine. Sorry. Think about it. If you have polymorphisms there, you know the kind of backup would be in dopamine. You can almost look at the genes and say, hmm, you know, if this person has a lot of oxidative stress, this is where the backup's going to be. So, uh, yes, there is genetic predisposition. The next. Page would be GAD, which is glutamate decarboxylase. Uh, glutamate decarboxylase, which I like to call the general anxiety disorder gene, okay, takes glut it uh, takes glutamine from your gut and it creates glutamate. Okay, that's an excitatory neurotransmitter, and with B6 creates GABA as you know, which is an inhibitor inhibitory neurotransmitter. And frankly, if you have a lot of polymorphisms here, okay your tendency is, to can ha- is going to have very, very high glutamates, which can express as anger. It can express as uh, neuropsychiatric disorders. And these are hint- hints. Uh, also, if you see somebody with a lot of GADs and you're trying to fix their gut, <laughs> you don't want to be giving them glutamate to fix their gut. Has anybody wondered why sometimes that uh, most of the products out there that fix gastrointestinal symptoms um have a lot of glutamine in them. Well, some people, it makes them a little bit on edge. Some it makes them a lot on edge, okay? And this is the reason, okay? This is why sometimes knowing the polymorphisms is helpful, okay? Um, this is from um, Sterling's older um, uh, version one, so not everything is here. Here you're seeing SOD2 um, and PON1 where... Uh, You suspect mitochondrial involvement or difficulty with organophosphates. People living farming communities, organophosphates, um, things like Roundup, they might not be able to break them down. Uh, NAT um, is involved in the metabolism of aldehydes. Uh, There's other um, polymorphisms that are involved in that also. But if you saw a lot of polymorphisms here, you'd start thinking... Well, maybe if that person had yeast overgrowth, they'd be producing a lot of acetylaldehyde, which is also known as ethylaldehyde, which is very close to formaldehyde, which is an embalming agent, okay, and will affect the brain negatively by irritating the heck out of the brain. Also, um, the way that you would tell here, is by asking the person, you know, how do they do when they drink alcohol? Uh, lots of times I'll be asking somebody that particular question. they will say, gee, when in my 20s, I could drink like a fish. Now, if I have a half a glass of whatever, I just get sick. Well, it tells me that this pathway is backed up. And what's backing up the pathway is not the polymorphisms because they've been there since birth. It's whatever else is blocking up the pathway, which may be yeast or anything else that is not allowing the aldehydes to um, break down. So this is one way you can tell Uh, why somebody might have a lot of excitation that may be expressing as anxiety, depression, and so forth and so on. This is some of the um, uh, genetic um, predispositions, okay? Transulfuration, usually the CBS and DTH. And if you're having problems here, you might have brain fog, high ammonia on lab tests or high taurine on neurotransmitter testing. Uh, Just having CBS, or CTH or any of these uh, polymorphisms does not mean that it's expressing. But if you have this plus the brain fog or high ammonia, how would you know you have high ammonia? Well, if you're urinating and it smells like rotten eggs, or you're passing gas and it smells like rotten eggs, and you have brain fog and you have this, um, you may want to suspect it. And that would involve the arginine pathway and different methodologies of dealing with it. But when this is dysfunctional, the ammonia can cause neural irritation that would ground and result in the
0: behaviors
1: or moods that we're talking about. Okay, that's one way of looking. Methylation, this is a discussion I'm not going to get into because methylation has widespread uh, effects. But when you see MTHFR, that many MTHFRs, Uh, polymorphic, uh, then you have to suspect uh, a difficulty, and it's usually um, in the neuropsychiatric range, okay? Uh, In the mitochondrial complex, um, again, I'm doing this very quickly because you have the PDF, you can look at it. If you start seeing difficulty in the first complex there with the NDUFS, a lot of times um, under oxidative stress, this prevents the electron donors from getting into the mitochondria, so you're not producing ATP, and that's one of the reasons why you cannot heal, and that also can create different neurotransmitter imbalances and mood problems, okay? What are the things that can alter our neurotransmitters? Uh, this particular picture was taken from uh, the cell danger response paper that I've noted on the bottom there. Uh, there is a paper out by uh, by Dr. Navarro from the metabolic um, and uh, Mitochondrial Disease Center at the University of Southern California, San Diego uh, School of Medicine. And he explains the metabolic features of what he calls the cell danger response. If you ever wanted to read a paper, that everything together, and especially if you had a bunch of doctors who say, oh, I don't believe in this stuff. Well, guess what? Boom, this has everything. Things that can damage the cell are chemical and physical, heavy metals, benzene, heat, salt, uh, microbial, mold, fungi, bacteria, and so forth, okay, and psychological, and this, and Dr. Navarro has proven in beyond a shadow of a doubt, okay, that the psychological component is just as injurious and damaging to the cell as the other areas, and that is something that is amazing, plus I'll tell you another little thing in a second, okay, so what can alter these? It's the neuro paradigm, in other words, the neurotransmitters, the hormones, and the immune system all talk together. You affect one of them, you're going to affect all of them, okay? But di- what can cause that are toxins, xenobiotics, which is dysbiosis, dietary peptides, bacteria, viruses, fungi, parasites, and mainly stress. I, I like my stress picture here with the guy with the espresso IV, Okay, we have a lot of stress. We live in an excitotoxic society. You know? Um I'm sorry if I'm going in and out. Let me see if I can fix that a little bit. Okay. Hopefully, um all right. Okay. All right. Uh let me know if that's still going on because um I'm gonna talk a little louder and um I will um if you go to, um, someone's asked me where the PDF is. Uh, if you go to Bio Med, the, um, the page, uh, the public page, it'll be there. Okay, so like I said, we live in a very toxic, um, excitotoxic society. Uh, when I was a kid, the only thing that, were open, that was open on a Sunday was the church and the bakery. Now everything's 24-7, okay, and we have a lot of light, we have a lot of EMFs, Our brains are not used to this level of stress and we're reacting to it. We're actually breaking down. Okay. Emotional trauma, just as important as the microbial and physical trauma. Please understand that um, I'm bringing this up now because I've noticed that uh, people with emotional trauma are being put on the back burner and I won't have it. Okay. Uh, Emotional trauma is an event that is most likely uh emotional psychological it can happen unexpectedly you were unprepared for it you felt powerless to uh prevent it it can happen repeatedly someone was intentionally cruel okay and sometimes it happened in child and sometimes it happened in childhood okay there's some commonly overlooked causes of emotional trauma uh and sometimes uh falls or sports injuries, surgeries. Okay, a uh, sudden death of someone close, a car accident, the breakup of a significant relationship, a humiliating or deeply disappointing experience, and the discovery of a life-threatening illness or disabling condition. Okay, these things can create emotional traumas that affect your cells and affect your moods just as much. These cellular assaults, otherwise known as cell danger responses, can cause autoimmune diseases, degenerative disorders, autistic spectrum disorders, and neuropsychiatric disorders. And, and it's been proven on an evidence-based, peer-reviewed basis. The methods of assault, which is what most people don't get into. You can say, okay, this is what causes, but how does it go about doing it? Well, first, when you start destroying the cells, you start creating leaky gut syndrome. Okay, leaky gut syndrome is how you develop inflammation Okay, when the microbes and all the toxins can get through the gut, the immune system starts working on it, okay, starts producing a lot of immunoglobulins, and you start getting a lot of inflammation, okay? And I have a picture here that it it influences a blood-brain barrier and neuroimmunity, but basically, if you fix a gut, you can drop inflammation by 50 80% easy, okay? What does inflammation do to us? Can create cancer, cardiovascular diseases, diabetes, arthritis, autoimmune diseases, neurological diseases to include what we're talking about tonight. Also, there's an effect on the HPA, HPT, HPG axis. We know about the adrenal axis where the hypothalamus stimulates the pituitary to stimulate the adrenal gland to respond to stress. But when that's being overused over a very long period of time, there is an HPT axis, a hypothalamic thyroid, and an HPG axis, which means gonadal or ovarian or testicular, depending on whether you're a man or a woman. Okay, so stress, inflammation can cause dysfunction in the thyroid, adrenals, and hormones, and I think that it's kind of obvious that that's going to affect your moods create anxiety depression and um how many times if you fix the hormones you fix the moods okay mood disorders have loads and loads and loads of causes and um you we're talking about on their methylation overmethylation thyroid uh trace mineral deficiency heavy metal toxicity Uh, essential fatty acid deficiency, which means that you're not able to, you know, fix your cells, oxidative stress, receptor imbalances, neurotransmitter imbalances. It is not as simple as I'm saying tonight. There are loads of root causes to mood and behavioral disorders. And that's the trick, people. You can treat it by putting Band-Aids on it. And that's what's been done since time immemorial. She'll never get rid of it unless you get to the root cause and fix what those root causes have done to the body. Um, how do you go about it? Okay, uh, this is one of my favorite things. If you listen to your patient, they'll tell you the diagnosis. The person who first said that was William Cer- Mosler, who was the founding father of um, Johns Hopkins Medical Center. And one of my standard jokes is that in real estate it's location 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 and in healthcare it's history 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 if you're with a healthcare provider that sits down and takes a history they're gonna find out why you're having the problem okay you've got to get at the root cause okay the root cause is this is was a perfect uh, graphic for me because i'm forever asking why somebody says i have this i go why somebody says i have mthfr had i uh, have Compound heterozygous and THFR. Thank you. Okay, very good. Now, tell me why you're expressing now. And they look at me cross-eyed. Well, you weren't expressing when you were two years old. Why is why are you expressing now? And I keep going why and why and why until I get to the root cause. Okay, and very often I can do it on history. Testing helps, but I don't. I use testing to confirm diagnoses, not to make diagnoses. Okay, things like neurotransmitter and stress hormone testing to identify adrenal stress. You can look at gut function, look for candida dysbiosis, looking for immune dysfunction, uh, metal allergies, chronic viruses, chronic bacteria, chronic fungi, autoimmune diseases. But let me tell you something. To find out the root cause of anxiety, depression, and you want to get rid of it, you need somebody who thinks like a detective. You need a Dr. House. You need a doctor, you know, you need a Sherlock Holmes, okay, because it's not as easy as, you know, if you had situational depression, if you just got sad and because of a breakup, it would go away. If you're having snowballing, something is wrong and something has, this has to be elucidated, eradicated and compensated, not just compensated, but you've got to get rid of the root cause and the downstream effect. My next, um, on page 42 here, you look for the downstream effects. You have to look for what the root causes did to the body. I talked about the cell danger response. The cell damage that goes on with everything that we said, there, the the, uh, metals and the emotions and so forth, this affects cellular electron flow, oxygen consumption, cellular fluidity, the uh, ability of the cells to get through the capillaries, the availability of vitamins, the availability of getting rid of heavy metals. Okay, redox, lipid dynamics, creation of proteins. It affects everything. Okay, it isn't as simple as, you know, just neurotransmitter imbalances. You're talking about the actual cellular function, and here's the big thing. Look on page 45. Here's the big problem that I've noticed, and in every, in not everybody, but in most of the doctors that I talk with and, and most of the people that I treat, is that everybody's treated as if it's acute, as, as if it's an acute condition and, it's a chronic condition, okay? If you had an acute condition, you'd have little or no downstream effects and a quick recovery. That's how you can tell it's acute and there's nothing else going on. Think about it. If you're a kid and you have like a strep throat or something and it's just a simple infection and you get an antibiotic, you don't feel good for a couple of weeks, and then all of a sudden, boom, you feel good, okay? But when you have chronic problems which means multiple attacks on the system you have numerous downstream effects numerous damage your ability to put yourself together called homeostasis you know has been eradicated plus these factors don't just add up they synergize so it's not four plus four plus four it's four times four times four and after a little while healing becomes impossible because treating the root causes is in is inadequate. You've got to treat the root causes and the downstream effects. If you really want to know why, that saying that Lyme disease is incurable these days is because they're treating the bug without treating the body. If you don't treat the body, every stimulation you get is going to go down that pathway and it's going to feel like you've got Lyme disease again. Okay, if you don't take care of what the Lyme disease, if we're just talking Lyme but other things, but the Lyme disease did to the body, did to the cells, did to the gut, then every time you get a stimulation, whether it's viral, bacterial, fungal, it's going to go down that pathway and it's going to feel like you've got Lyme disease when you don't really have Lyme disease. So it, is in, it just doesn't make sense that you can't get rid of a microbial illness, okay? It does make sense when you look at it from the point of view that most doctors, most allopaths treat the condition, treat the bug without treating the body, because they think the body's just going to heal itself. Because they have an acute care mindset, not a chronic care mindset, and that is the big glitch that has to be turned around. Okay, so usually you go to a doctor with primary complaints of depression and anxiety. So the traditional medical route, they'll give you an antidepressant. They're not even figuring out. They'll just say antidepressant, which is usually an SSRI. How do they know you need serotonin? Okay, so they'll start off with like Prozac. Right, then we'll double the dosage. And then Zoloft. Okay, then maybe some Lexapro. Okay, then if that doesn't work after several months, let's try Wellbutrin, which is a completely different thing. And what happens is, and I hate to say it like this, but it's true. They're guessing. They're absolutely guessing. They're taking your symptoms that can have numerous causes, and they're guessing. Okay, does anybody find a problem with that? I find a problem with that. OK, you're going to mess with my neurotransmitters without doing any kind of testing. OK, because you don't believe in the testing. We're going to get to that in a second. Ha, ha ha All right. Because you don't believe in the testing and you're just going to play with me. OK, you're going to give me this. Then you're going to give me that. You're going to give me this. You're going to give me that. And eventually you might hit the right. Okay, and if you give me an SSRI or or a reuptake inhibitor and I don't have enough of the target neurotransmitter, eventually it's going to fail. And then what are you going to do? You're going to give me more powerful medicines, like an atypical antipsychotic, like Abilify. That doesn't make any sense. Try giving the body what it needs to work, and then it will balance itself, and then you can minimize the medications. All right, so testing options, neurotransmitter microbial testing. People ask me, like, what do you do to find out what the... What the imbalances are? Well, you know that I use, that one of my favorite things is to use urinary neurotransmitter testing. And I'm going to say right out here, right out in front of God and everybody, urinary neurotransmitter testing is not totally central, nerve, central and peripheral nervous system. And if you do a blood test, it is not just central nervous system. The only way to get central nervous system data is to do a lumbar puncture, take a piece of the brain out. Most people don't like that. Okay, and lumbar punctures are dangerous. So you take these biomarkers and you correlate them with history and you can figure out what the heck is going on. Because if you don't look at the numbers and look at the patterns, you're gonna be correct. Okay, when I teach this, I teach dynamic neurotransmitter evaluation and I teach the doctors to look at patterns. And I'm giving you one pattern right in front of you of an immune problem look at the upper left where all the neurotransmitters are slammed to the top okay this is somebody who's like has initial Lyme or pandas or something like that now after about a year or so the inhibitory neurotransmitters start to drop and you begin to see evidence of adrenal fatigue which is that epinephrine or epinephrine pattern after about three more years you see things drop even further Okay, because the chronic stimulation of the microbes and the bugs or whatever are beginning to overpower the body's ability to compensate. And this continues until you hit that 15 to 20 year mark where the person's pretty well exhausted. And you know what's really sad, people? You know what's really sad? I'm beginning to see kids that look like that 15, 20 year mark. I have one this week. I looked at his neurotransmitters. He's 16 years old, and he looked exactly like that. No wonder he's sitting around staring at the walls. He doesn't have anything to work with. And what's causing it? That's what we're going for. That's what we're looking at. And, you know, this is an art figuring out the root cause and the downstream effects, but you've got to treat both. You want people to heal. You've got to balance the neurotransmitters, balance the body, and find out why things are like that, okay? Always having a look at microbial involvement okay whether it's uh parasitic which by the way is the biggest problem we're having now because parasites are very very hard to um, diagnose and we're always looking for them in the gut and where they are in the uh, blood cells or in the brain candida which has been ignored like crazy okay and of course lyme disease which is a horrible neurological that's exactly where it goes in the neurological system I have a couple of panels here of the different symptoms for Lyme disease. I I want you to have them because um, a lot of doctors ignore Lyme disease. There is evidence that this is one of those diseases that are trying to be ignored. I don't know why, okay, but they're trying to ignore it. They don't want to treat it. I don't know why, okay? And I have symptoms here for children. If you have excitation, if you have anxiety, if you have depression, and you're finding nothing is working, think Lyme disease. Think microbes, because nine times out of 10, you're not going to be wrong. Do the proper testing, and there is good testing out there. And it's not just the testing, it's who's interpreting it. An example on page 52 is a 27-year-old female that I have in um, its one of my patients in Hong Kong. If you look at that neurotransmitter test, you'll see that the glutamate is through the roof, the epinephrine is through the roof, the phenylephamine is pretty high. Her serotonin is really low. Her dopamine is really low. And guess what? OK, um, she has depression. And she has excitation, anxiety, and her family does not believe her. And I said, you know, this is this is microbial. I did the neurotransmitter. I did the Lyme testing and I don't think there's any argument here. Look at how many bands are positive. Okay, This poor woman had Lyme disease for at least 10 years. Okay, and it is staring at us in the nostrils, but nobody wanted to look for it because she was a psych case. Okay, this is a real good example of how a microbial illness can cause psychiatric illness. Okay, and there is no question staring at you in the nostrils. How do you argue with evidence like this? Okay, in the paper that I talked about before, I saw a table in there that I thought you might find interesting. They had a table of disorders that were corrected or improved by antipyrogenic therapy. And they talked about autism, spinal cord injury, traumatic brain injury, ischemic brain injury, glutamate excitotoxicity, epilepsy, rheumatoid arthritis, chronic pain, multiple sclerosis, lupus erythematosus, see I can pronounce it, uh, restenosis after angiography, Duchenne cardiomyopathy, heart failure, alcohol liver disease and cirrhosis asthma emphysema diabetic kidney disease i said wow what the hell is antipyretic therapy then i looked down the medicines and i looked them up mostly they use serumin. guess what it's an anti parasite drug it's not parasites can be causing all this stuff that's why he keeps saying uh appraises some uh is a uh medicine to use uh, to treat trichomonas. But for the most part here, what you're seeing is an antiparasitic drug. Okay. Parasites are one of the things that create the greatest amount of excitation in the brain, anxiety, depression, and it magnifies the emotional trauma. It magnifies anxiety and depression. It causes autism. People, parasites are something to be very heavily considered. Okay. And this particular paper proved it. Okay. Treatment options. Well, there's loads of treatment options that you can be afforded, but I'm going to give you the principles. Okay. Principles are very, very simple reduce stress. You want to heal the cells, get the cells, their cell function working again. You want to heal the gut because the gut is always involved, and that's going to create a lot of uh, inflammation okay, we'll call this foundational treatment, and you wanna kill the bugs, okay, you absolutely wanna kill the microbial uh uh component okay uh reducing stress kind of obvious uh we live in a very stressful society, you know there's loads of evidence that taking walks you know uh in water or taking walks on on the beach or taking walks in um uh on on grass and so forth and with the with the electrons and so forth but actively doing things to reduce stress, okay, because we need it, okay. We have to realize that cellular function, everything happens in the cell. We always think about methylation being over here, detoxification being over there. Everything happens in the cell, and what is most ignored is the cell wall, that phospholipid bilayer that you hear me always screaming about. That is where the damage occurs, and that's why people don't want to heal. And that's why I'm always point, pointing about liposomal uh, phospholipids and so forth in order to recreate the cell wall and cell function, okay? Because cells have to create energy, manage energy, and then get rid of their own waste. And if that doesn't happen, you have dysfunctional cells and nothing works, okay? You want to balance neurotransmitters, okay? The um, the guy who originated is Dr. Kellerman from neuroscience incredibly brilliant man. I've taken numerous courses from him. He he developed the targeted amino acid therapy concept. Okay. And um, yeah, I can't say enough about Dr. Kellerman. He's the one that really started the um, process of balancing neurotransmitters. There's something a little bit better now Uh, called the Brain Reward Cascade and um, the study here of the Neurogenetics and Neurogenomics of Neuronutrient Therapy for Reward Deficiency Syndrome. That particular paper talks about um, the brain reward cascade and how you can balance the entirety of the neurotransmitter system by uh, addressing um, this particular brain reward, okay? Treatment for emotional trauma, and this is really, really important. There's loads and loads and loads of ways of treating emotional trauma, including emotional release techniques, cellular emotional release technique, uh, emotional trauma therapy, counseling, um, group therapy, neuroemotional techniques, and something called EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, the fact is that if you have a bunch of emotional trauma, medicines are not going to get rid of it, Okay. And that's why you need to work with a professional. And on the next page, I'm going to give you a little hint. If you have a lot of BHMT in your genes, you will tend to internalize stress. But if you have PTSD, one of the better ways that you're going to resolve is with the EMDR therapy versus the talk therapy, Okay. So if you want to address mood disorders, it's not just neurotransmitter imbalancing. You've got to get at the root causes, the inflammation, the integrity of the cell wall, the mitochondrial func- function, the nutritional deficiencies, the genetic polymorphisms. You've got to deal with it all, root cause and downstream effects. But if you really want to get well, you've got to get back to the basics. You've got to start with the basics of fixing a cell, getting the gut and get in, gut in order, and getting the neurotransmitters balanced, the reasons for um, the ongoing uh, dysfunction in the uh, neurological system, and that can have a lot of root causes, and that requires uh, a healthcare provider who is um, who's very well trained in the area, okay? You don't need to suffer this help, okay? All you need to do is call our office, on dot com. You can schedule us at... Um, um, ...numbers there. Um, And um, I think I've babbled enough, so if anybody has questions, I am going to take questions now, okay? And um, remember the call number is 646-595-2277. Okay, I have um, one question here saying, can you give us a little bit about certain food groups that feed gut imbalances within the flora, antibiotics? I kind of don't understand the question. Um, certain food groups that feed the gut imbalances um can you restate the question a bit because um I'm not really understanding what you're looking for here, certainly, carbohydrates uh will feed um will feed some of the gut imbalances uh one of the better diets to be on is not necessarily paleo um but um, why can't I think of it okay. It'll be um it'll occur to me in a second, but uh, it isn't necessarily paleo um you have to remember that back in the seventies uh macrobiotics was the big thing it was old grains, and now we're at paleo, which is uh no grains, okay, so really, what's going on is we need to fix the gut, okay, and that is what is the um okay, my apologies um are you saying that antibiotics use can cause imbalances absolutely. Okay, when you're taking antibiotics, you're killing off not only the target microorganisms that you're going after, you're killing off, you're killing off a significant part of the, uh, a significant amount of the normal flora in the gut. Okay, that's going to cause all kinds of damage. Or even if it's not causing damage, it's going to open up space for yeast. To take over the yeast is sitting in capsules, and yeast will given an opportunity will start replicating and take up real estate and The more real estate it takes up and the more it's metabolizing, the more acetylaldehyde is going to be created, and you're going to get um formaldehyde in the brain okay that's what the that's why yeast is such a problem. Any other questions? I have somebody over here. Who's, I'm going to see if they have a question here. Okay. Is per, nice person in the 519 area code. Are you listening or did you have a question? Oh, hi. I
0: was just listening. Oh, okay. Good enough. Hi. Okay. Actually, hi. I could ask a question a bit more. I, I do still? have a question. Hi. Hi. Um, a little bit more about, if you could talk a bit more about long-term antibiotics with Lyme and then trying to do the gut cleanup afterwards in terms of uh, diagnosing and assessing yeast and different kinds of uh, gut protective or gut repair processes, that would be great. Thanks.
1: Okay, your um, your point is really well taken, okay? Uh, fixing a gut. There's three principles. You have to uh, use digestive enzymes. There's no question about that. You want to uh, utilize um, something that actually fixes the gut walls, okay? Um, That is usually the same thing you're using to help the cells repair, okay, which is, uh, you know, phospholipid compounds. Uh, And and, um, there are uh, people who use colostrum very successfully, uh, there's another type of product uh, that is a serum-derived bovine immunoglobulin isolate. Uh, it's, its trade name is Interagam, and it's indicated for I- uh, irritable bowel syndrome in HIV patients and works very, very, very well in healing almost anybody's gut. It is a prescription product, and it's, uh, it's so it's medical food. Uh, there are other... Um, uh, ...other... Uh, options for that. Um, some people will use uh, slippery elm or marshmallow root. Okay, um, that depends on whether you have a lot of oxalates or not, but that will help recreate the mucus layer in the gut, okay, because the probiotics or the biota live in the mucus layer, okay? And you need to be giving yourself a um, a good type of probiotic. Um, I tend to go with the more broad spectrum soil-based probiotic, probiotics that have Saccharomyces boulardii in it, which is a non-rooting um, yeast that uh, actually pulls candida off the walls. Okay. Uh, when you're dealing with taking antibiotics, there's always an argument, especially will the gut first, then treat the Lyme or the reverse or do them at the same time. Okay. And, and there's arguments either way. That's a clinical decision okay if you're doing a gut cleanup like you said uh, you want to really <laughs> figure out which the person is not re- not reacting to and then kind of just dump it in there so it can remember that the the uh gut is a fairly significant um significantly long extensive um thing i mean if you took all the cells of the gut and put them side by side they go around the world once so you know, it's not going to happen any time fast but the the principles of um, making sure you break down your foods to their constituent parts so that you don't create antigens, preventing the antigens from getting through the gut wall by recreating the mucus and fixing the gut cells themselves, and then providing with probiotics so that you can repopulate properly are the general principles in fixing the gut.
2: Okay, thanks.
1: You're most welcome.
2: I think I've got it covered.
1: Okay, I'm battling this for ten years and I have yeast overgrowth, definitely. I have eczema really bad. When I eat starches, I also have lots of irritability and brain fog, it's ruining my life. I need to figure this out. Um that is something you can figure out because you already told me <laughs> kind of what's wrong. Okay. Um if you um eat starches and you get eczema, okay, really simply, what's happening is <clears throat> you're feeding the yeast, the yeast is starting to grow. And um, that's releasing a lot of acetyl aldehyde, which in you is probably producing a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of histamine. Okay. It's also affecting the uh, transulfuration pathway. So your ammonia levels going up. Okay. And um, <clears throat> this is something that shouldn't be all that hard to fix. Okay. This is the type of thing where they treat the yeast all the time or treat the eczema Let's treat the eczema with uh, steroids and stuff like that, which just knocks down the immune system without looking at the root causes and without fixing the downstream effects, which would be the gut, um, the gut problem. The gut problem has to be fixed. Do you know the reason why we have so much gluten problems and so many soy problems? you know, way back when gluten wasn't a problem and when it came on the scene, people would say, okay, great. Uh, this kid's eating gluten and he's, and he's hyperactive. Let's take him off gluten. And they like, great, you know. And then they would put him on soy. And six months later, he's reacting to the soy. Well, let's take him off that and put him on something else, okay? Or when they had gluten, they started putting people on non-gluten grains. Okay, well, guess what? If you don't fix the leaky gut, okay, and the immune system is going to start responding to it, eventually people got reacted to everything. And now I have patients who are reactive, to almost everything they're eating. And what we have to do there is primarily fix the gut so that these antigens aren't getting through. If you don't have antigens getting through, then you're not going to be reacting um, with hypersensitivity reactions. And it's not, um, yeah, it is it is a conundrum. You know, the person who's asking me the questions, it is a conundrum, but it's not, it is not, Something that can be, it's not something that is, um, it's difficult to figure out. It's not difficult for me to figure out, but uh, it's not something that is irreparable, okay? Most guts, most people, you can fix it if you just approach it from the right point of view and do the right order of treatment. That's the real trick, is to figure out what's wrong and then do the proper order of treatment, Okay, we have about 17 minutes left. If anybody else wants to call in, it's 646-595-2277. I'm kind of getting the impression that I (laughs) covered too much tonight, Okay, And it was, um, I I kind of went through it rather quickly. Uh, But people were asking me to cover this particular subject, and I'm very happy to do so. Um, Is there no gluten or soy at all until the gut is fixed? It all depends. The person asking the question all depends on your particular uh, condition. The real trick is to, if you know what is creating, it, there's, there's two different things. One, where you have a surface reaction to gluten or soy, which causes inflammation. And there's the absorption and creating um, an upregulated immune system. Okay. It depends on what's going on. Okay. The way you'd approach it. Uh, sometimes you have to. Very, very strict. But most times, uh, if you simply give the gut what it needs to start working, um, it's not that you are allowed to go out and have a pizza, but you don't have to be as strict about it. By the way, if if your if your condition, anybody's condition, is so tenuous that you have to spend most of your day planning everything you're doing, something is absolutely wrong. Okay, something is absolutely wrong. You're, uh, you shouldn't have to be that strict about everything that you do, okay? Um, would I tr- how would I treat a teenager who is noncompliant with taking medicines and supplements? They also cannot take pills and has PANDAS. Um, <laughs> that is a great question, okay? Uh, that is the skill of a clinician, okay? Mm-hmm. First off, Uh, To be perfectly honest, usually teenagers are at odds with their parents. Okay, so they don't do things that, you know, to annoy their parents. Uh, What I try and do is what I learned in the military is to try and get the person's willing cooperation to accomplish a goal. And with teenagers, having had three boys myself, okay, I usually work with them personally personally and get their willing cooperation to do certain things. Uh it takes it's it's an art. Okay? I've been a healthcare provider for 40 years, so I can't tell you exactly how not because I don't want to, because I don't know how I would work with this one individual, but I can tell you that I treat a lot of teenagers who their parents would say this exact thing and I get their willing cooperation in certain points and they start feeling better and then they you know, work with other points. And, you know, it takes a little bit of work, okay? But most often they're not being compliant because they're pretty defiant to the parents and they have a lot of excitation. So sometimes, you know, I find out what their goal is, okay, and work with that goal and then work my way around from that. I, uh, I agree with you. It is a toughie, but I've done it before. I can do it again. Okay, and I do it a lot. I talk to a lot of kids. Okay, and I don't mean just little little ones. I'm talking about ones that, once they hit thirteen, you don't have any control over them. They they have to be in the driver's seat. They must be. They They have to want to do this. And the only way to do that is to work with them and do what they consider important. OK, and you let them, you know, you work with them. You let them know what what is important, but you don't dictate to them. You work with them. and I, I think I like to think I'm pretty good at that. OK, some people can take pills. So we use liquids. Some people can't use liquids. We use, you know, sublinguals and we use transdermal. Remember, there's loads of different ways of getting things into the body. Some people can use baths like um, Epsom salt baths or they can, they need maybe not magnesium uh, sulfate, but magnesium, magnesium chloride you know there's loads of different there's lots of different ways of getting around things as long as you got somebody's cooperation okay and guess what you also have to have a pretty big toolbox in other words you have to have a lot of options okay you can't just that's why i don't like people who practice protocols because that's all they know and uh you know if if all you have is a hammer everything looks like a nail i have a i have a you know i have a toolbox to choke a horse Okay, so I have lots of different ways of going about doing things. That's a really great question. I wish I could give you a very straight answer, but that's the way I would uh, work it. I would get that, find out what his goals are, it would be a personal conversation or a a conversation between him or her and I uh, in the presence of the parents, of course. I mean, I don't do anything behind anybody's back, okay, and um, find out what their goals are and what they want and give them different options. Um, That's the way I would go about it. And um, the only time it's a real, real problem is if there's addictions involved. So who else has any questions? I know there's questions out there because I got a lot of response to this and people wanna know about anxiety and depression and how to go about um, treating it. So far we've been talking a lot about guts, anybody else? Have any other questions, 646-595-2277. Um, I'm not tired. I can ask questions all night. <laughs> oh, gosh, it's time for a okay. Okay. Um, and if you're on the um, chat room, go ahead and feel free to ask a question. I'll wait a couple more minutes. Um, sorry if you had some trouble hearing me. Um, I'm also, you know, please email me about ideas of the things that you want to hear about. Okay. Um I have a nice set of um uh speakers coming up. Okay, next week we're going to hear from Wendy Myers, uh who's going to talk about her um her um heavy metal treatment program. Okay, and um ooh, all of a sudden great. Nice person in the 804 area code. Are you there?
2: Yeah, how are you doing? Uh,
1: I'm doing well, what
2: this, can I do uh, for Dr. you? Arman, right?
1: This is Dr. Armand. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, um, what I was going to ask is, uh, I was one that was on the chat room or whatever. I remember, remember asking about the bacterial overgrowth, the antibiotics use. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what I was going to ask is now when it comes to like, when you crave these sugars, like say if I, you know, when I'm in this fog or whatever, and I'm taking a nap or someone I wake up. Sometimes I have these cravings for like carbs and sugars. Are you saying that we shouldn't feed into them, you know, into those, you know, when they, you know, when you're feeling like you want I know get the serotonin high or whatever?
1: Well, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that if you have if you having if you're having difficulties, if you know that the um, your dietary um choices are causing problems. Uh, you have to work with somebody, a nutritionist or something, to start switching those dietary choices around, okay? And it may be something like going to a paleo diet slowly. It may be something um, where you, you want to eat mostly fats instead of uh, carbohydrates. <clears throat> when, you're, when your body is screaming for carbohydrates, it may be screaming for serotonin. It may be screaming for glucose. So uh, not knowing that... Okay, when you actually crave something, your body's actually looking for something. When a kid eats dirt and craves dirt, they're looking for trace minerals. Okay, Uh, you have to look at what the person needs. So you can't, that kind of question, although it's a very good question, cannot be answered in a vacuum. Okay, Um, you have to look at the person's whole condition and then start changing one thing at a time uh, because if it causes them uh, difficulty, uh, uh, to make a big change all at once, that's kind of the worst thing you do. Okay, so in answer to your question, it it, re- it requires uh, either an evaluation by a nutritionist and and looking at your physical condition, and then making a plan to switch things around slowly and also giving your body what it's looking for. So let's say you were looking for serotonin, you know, you'd use 5 hydroxytryptophan. Okay, if you were looking for uh, glucose, you know, eating smaller meals more frequently, it all depends on the particular situation. Although I understand the conundrum because it's something that really bothers you, especially if you have brain fog. So there's more going on than just seeking um, glucose or serotonin. Okay.
2: All right. Last question. Um... I started taking 5-HTP in the last week. I've noticed it's helped. Do you, do you rec- recommend that by any Chance? Or
1: I always do. I mean, if you're taking something and it's working, you know, then you're you're answering the question of whether you need serotonin or not. You yeah, know, well, um, you can't you know, hurt you
2: definitely, definitely not going to hurt yourself.
1: Say again, please.
2: I said it's definitely helping as a mandate. I definitely noticed, you know, a better sense of well-being during the day. Um, but it's still mm-hmm. not helping my eczema because, you know, when I eat certain things, like even dairy as well sometimes, will well, okay. trigger my eczema. So what you've,
1: done, what you've done is handle one piece of it, which is good because you figured it out. But there's more There's more to be done. Okay. That's right. that's the conclusion. Okay.
2: All right. Well, I appreciate your time, sir. Thank you very not much. Not a problem. Bye-bye. Okay.
0: Bye.
1: Nice person in the 610 area code. Hi, Are Dr. I? Can you hear me? Yes, I can.
0: Uh, Dr. Armin, I actually was born in Havertown, but I uh, I just moved to <laughs> Oregon. <laughs> I just okay. moved to Oregon to get away from mold, actually, because I'm, uh, I'm homozygous for C677T, and I've had mold issues my whole life, so I actually moved out here from where you live, mainly because of that. But getting okay. to your depression topic, um, I've ha- I struggled with depression most of my life, um, I've, and I, I've cured my SIBO and my leaky gut over the last five, it took me five or six years seeing different people. Um, all this time I didn't know about you. Most of, most of the time I was in Pennsylvania. Um, but I so I have depression, brain fog, and I think most of it is like uh, IL-6 gets high from, from um, you know, from food toxins. But it's, I'm so much better now. I'm like probably 90% better I stay away from gluten and I stay away from casein. But my question to you is um I'm actually on um I am they have me on like generic ritalin Mhm. and also Wellbutrin um for brain fog and depression and my my question to you really is if if someone's going to there's first of all, I don't want to be on them. I wasn't on them most of the time. And um, my, my sister did just die three weeks ago. So I definitely have some things that someone would be depressed about. Thank
1: you. That's that's good reason to be depressed. Yeah.
0: Of course. But so um, that was just, but I mean, um, I know that I can, if I'm trying to conceive, I can't be on those drugs. And especially if I succeed. Um, So do you recommend something for, I mean, I don't, I don't really think I need to be on. I mean, they really, really help, but I think they're they're helping. They're sort of standing in. They're not really a perfect solution. And okay. I'm just wondering if. And I'm, I'm not. I I don't. I'm not asking you to tell me to go off these medications. I'm not asking that. But I'm saying I, in general, I wouldn't tell you. do you recommend? <laughs> right. I wouldn't do,
1: recommend. Do you recommend?
0: <laughs> right. Do you recommend something for your patients who are trying to get pregnant or?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. Your 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 question, if I can break it down. Okay, is um, you've uh, you've handled a lot of your health issues, which I, I applaud. Okay, number two, I'm hearing that you still have neurotransmitter imbalances because you um, you are utilizing um, uh, medicines that are treating at least three different neurotransmitters I can think of. Right. Okay, right. and making you feel better. So then you know at least empirically that you don't have enough of epinephrine or epinephrine dopamine. OK, yes. and um, so uh, the way if you want to not be on those medicines the way you would go about um, assessing that is to assess the neurotransmitter balance and then either use the neurotransmitter precursors. OK, like the amino acids that build them and you don't just take somebody off a of medicine. That's a very bad idea. OK, uh, you build up, you, you look at the neurotransmitter testing, you build up the neurotransmitter and then with the prescribing physician you work on working your way down <clears throat> on um, on the medications and I'll tell you why. Uh, medications are either a receptor agonist or antagonists, which means they stimulate or block receptors, or they're enzyme modulators. Okay. Right. Your body loves them because they don't your body doesn't have to do a lot of work. Okay. But uh, let's say, let's just make it real easy. Let's talk about a serotonin reuptake inhibitor. If you take a bunch of 5-HTP and you bring your serotonin up and you stop your serotonin reuptake inhibitor, your body does not automatically switch gears. Okay. It doesn't like that. Okay. You're going to get a lot of negative responses. So it has to be done judiciously you have to look at everything else like the leaky gut and so forth and so on, make sure everything else is working, but let's assume that that is, and all you're doing is rebalancing neurotransmitters. Okay. You have to do, you have to do it in a, in a good order and a good manner before you start pulling yourself off the medicines. Okay. Um, granted, if, if you're looking to conceive, okay. And you're uh, and most people ask me just how long does this take? Well, I I can't tell you without looking at uh, looking at a neurotransmitter test, but I can I can tell you, the average is around six months. Okay, but the good thing about it the good thing about it is that um, this is something where you have total control. Okay, that you can brake and pedal, that you'll still feel good. You're not going to have to go through these horrible feelings, and that when you're done and you're you're going to be healthier. Okay, which is going to be much better for your baby. Okay, so right. is it worth okay. is it worth the effort to not listen to that british lady yell at me? Okay. <laughs> okay. But is it is it is it worth doing the work to make sure that everything's work that everything's working before you conceive? Yeah. Okay. Um I mean there's a whole mess of other considerations I can think of too, but making it really really simple just on the neurotransmitters, is it worth the work to you know make sure that your neurotransmitters and you don't need the medicines and that you've made the transition, it's absolutely worth it because you don't know what the, uh, what these medications will do to an unborn child. Okay. Right. Um, And you do that uh,
0: testing in your office?
1: Oh, sure. Absolutely. I do everything. I do everything remotely. Remember most of my patients are, you know, the reason you don't know about me in Howard is very few people do. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I used to give 10% off you could find me you know, find my office, but <laughs> all my, seriously, I'm in upper Derby. They're like, okay, where are you? I don't know. Okay. But I mean, most of my patients are all around the world. And I, my, my standard joke is, do you think my Australian patients fly in to see me? <laughs> okay. I'm better known in England than I am here. I mean, you know, it's, it's ridiculous, but it's true. It is funny. It really is. You know, my, 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 my family from New York does like, well, they don't know you're over here. I'm like, well, go to Britain. They know me. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I work remotely. Okay, uh, all the time. I work over Skype or I work over the phone or I work. Uh, you know, I don't I don't use semaphore or, uh, or uh, smoke signals anymore. It's a little hard to see. But um, but all, all joking aside, yeah, that that kind of work that you're mentioning is uh, stuff that I do and do very well. Uh, and especially if you're trying to conceive, there's a lot of considerations that we should talk about uh, and um, to make sure that you're very healthy as long as you're. Your uh, spouse is, is willing to do, um, and remember, he's got to do some work also, you know. Right. Uh, it's, really, it's really worth it because the incidence of autism is very, very high, and um, we don't know the exact rationale for it. Uh, we have suspicions and so forth. Um, I can even take both of your um, genetic tests and make predictions on, you know, the way the baby will, uh, what the baby might have difficulties with. It's not exact, but you can go... And, um, you know, see that, you know, somebody has difficulty with this pathway and that pathway. If you both have difficulties, then we have some, you know, have some considerations to make. And sometimes it's a matter of not not, not taking immunizations, but using alternate immunization schedules, if that's the thing, you know, or right. being or being careful about, you know, how you feed the baby and what you feed the baby. But it doesn't have to be like... You know this this crazy restrictive thing. It's just a matter of trends that you look at. You know, I can look at somebody's neurotransmitter test and say, I'm sorry, look at their genes and say, you know, there's a probability of addictions here. Okay, and if there's addictions in the family, then there's a higher probability. And if the kid has a lot of excitation, since a lot of addictions are starting at like nine and ten and eleven now, you know, I would tell the patients and the parents, this is what you have to lock, look out for. And this is what we need to uh, to do to, to decrease this kid's excitation. You know, um, it, it's good work. I enj- I enjoy doing it. I love doing it. I love, sh- I love working with people, and and I love the fact that um, you know the technology and the knowledge is available now that we can take the next generation and make it better than this generation.
0: Yeah, that's 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 great. I mean, it, instead of making it worse and making it, them not live as long as their parents. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's not even a matter of living; it's a quality of life thing. You know, um, a lot of kids are suffering now. A lot, a lot of children are suffering, and we we look at it as saying, you know, they have ADD, they have ADHD, and it's kind of a common thing now. And it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Okay, we no. can make we can make it better for our kids, and it's not just simple easy things. We have to look at it in a truly holistic point of view. And when I say holistic, I don't mean swinging you know crystals over somebody's head i mean looking at everything and being logical about it and saying okay w- what's this physiology like and how can we normalize this physiology okay I, that is that's the goals
0: okay great thank you so much i really appreciate you're it you're most
1: welcome and i'm uh, i'm glad you um glad you called thank you so much
0: thank you bye bye
1: you're welcome Okay guys, it is uh nine thirty three. Like I said, next week uh we're gonna have Wendy Myers from uh LiveTo One Ten dot com on. I'm looking forward to interviewing her. Uh, she's gonna tell you about uh all of her new um new um uh things that she has going. Um and uh I appreciate your attention as usual. And um in case anybody's wondering, we have now over hundred and twenty thousand listeners and um we'll be doing um you know uh, podcast on a more regular basis. Again, I'll be in um, I'll be in Britain for uh, a couple of weeks at the in the middle of February. And I'm um, looking forward because this year I'm going to start traveling around. I'm traveling around and lecturing and seeing people and promulgating this type of treatment, this type of thought pattern, which is really a, a thought paradigm. OK, so anyway, I always as always, I love you guys. I appreciate all the attention. I appreciate the um, uh, the support that you've given me, uh, especially recently when I was ill. Okay. And uh, I'm glad you guys are here. So um, look forward to talking to you next week. You guys have a good, good week.
0: It's been a long road. Getting from to here. It's been a long time. My time is finally me, But I can feel the change in the way right now no.